Let me tell you a little bit about Arnov and his journey of relentless positivity. When 16-year-old Arnav Krishna arrived home for the last time, he was greeted by a cheering crowd of nearly 100 people. His journey started in 2016, just after he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, an aggressive form of bone cancer. Sacrificing a normal high school experience, Arnav instead spent most of his time in sterile hospital beds. Here, he adopted the mantra, relentless positivity, to help him through the tough chemotherapy treatments. He preferred to fill his days cracking jokes with on-staff nurses and indulging in Sour Patch Kids watermelon. His life journey was too short, but Arnav's fight against cancer brought him wisdom beyond his years. Wisdom that guided his last wish, a trip home to swap stories and laughs with friends. My name is Dhruv Krishna and Arnav Krishna was my identical twin brother. I started the Team Arnav Foundation. We allocate all of our funds directly to osteosarcoma research. Rare diseases like osteosarcoma hardly ever get any funding. In fact, the cancer is so under-researched that treatments really haven't changed since the 1980s. Our organization is empowering new researchers to start getting results on underfunded ideas. Help us honor Arnav's legacy and create a future for other warriors. Join us at our event in July or just check us out at our website, teamarnav.org. twin brother to Arnav Krishna, who, as you heard, passed away after a fight with osteosarcoma. Team Arnav was started as a way to keep the young cyclist spirits up and to keep his friends up to date on social media. Now, Team Arnav is a celebration of his life and a vessel to spread awareness to a disease that's rarity has led to its research being underfunded and its treatment remaining stagnant. Through a mutual friend, I was able to meet and sit down with Dhruv and his parents, Nitin and Sunita, to discuss their story of emigrating to the United States and their journey to the Lehigh Valley, as well as Arnav and Dhruv's childhood and success on the cycling track. Please be sure to check out their website for more information on how you can help. We'll be at the Team Arnav event on July 24th at Moravian Academy in Bethlehem Township. All the information and links are in our show notes. I'd like to give a big thank you to Phil Reese as well as the Krishna family. Learning more about Arnav's relentless positivity has been inspiring and I encourage you to take a listen. Uh, this was really a pleasure to be a part of and I want to thank them again. If you'd like to learn more about the Lehigh Valley Would Love podcast and the opportunities we can provide through sponsorship and collaboration, hit us up on info at lehighvalleywoodlovemedia.com or through our various social media channels. And a big thank you to our sponsors who continue to stick with us. The Burke Insurance Agency, Michael Bernadine with Howard Schaefer and Associates, real estate agent, and VentureX co-working space in South Bethlehem. If you want to get in touch with us and work with us on a sponsorship level, we have some fun things we're doing. It's affordable, so reach out. Welcome to the Leah Valley Would Love podcast. I'm your host, George Wacker. Let's learn more about Team Arnav. I want to thank you guys again so much for, for joining me. You know, this is... We do a lot of podcasts. This one's really special. You know, reading up on you know, Team Arnav, reading on his story has been fascinating. So it's really uh, great to be able to, to sit down with you and to learn 
more about it. Um, just as we said before we started, I, I wanted to start with you guys, you know, and, and your experience in, in coming to the, the Lehigh Valley, you know, or, or just to America in general. Can you uh, go over that, you know, your, your path to, to come here? Sure. So uh, Sunita and I met uh, in our undergrad, which is engineering in India. And uh, um, right after our marriage, we wanted to actually pursue our um, pursue higher education mm -hmm. and we wanted to get a global perspective. So we decided we wanted to come to a land of opportunities, which is America. And glad we did that. Um, University of Tulsa is the university we chose okay. um, in Oklahoma. It was very kind to us and very nice for us because um, we got all the assistantship and tuition and all those things waived for us based on uh, credentials and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that was very nice. Um, we were in Oklahoma for about 10 years. The boys were born in 2002, the twins. They were in preemies. Oklahoma? In Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they were preemies. And um, with us being brand new parents, were um, it was quite a quite an experience. Sure. experience <laughs> but uh, um, you know that was a time when economy was really booming booming or lack of booming oh, oh, everyone oh. 2002, 2002, 2002 yeah. Jeez, I, was, was, I was his age back then so I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember the economy as well uh, economy <laughs> was tanking and unfortunately Tulsa even though it was a great place for us mm -hmm. um, it was it was it had very limited opportunities okay. so we had to venture out and um, uh, PPL actually gave us a package deal. Um, they needed two people with two different backgrounds in product management, and we both fit the bill somehow. And you're like, this, we're, we also happen to be married. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so we came here, and uh, uh, rest is history. And how did you, so that was how you found the Lehigh Valley? Did you? Uh, we don't have to talk too much about the Lehigh Valley, but do you, the area that you live in? Did you find it when you first came here that you know this is a great area to, to live and to raise a family? Yeah, we absolutely love Lehigh Valley, with proximity to you know New York, New Jersey, Washington D.C., mm. with your ocean, with mountains, with biggest city in the world to. You know, the very, Farm. very small. <laughs> yeah, you could be out there. Out there and everything sure. in the middle. Um, you have pretty much everything you can do. So and we one, appreciate that. Yeah, one thing we gravitate towards is people. And mm -hmm. uh, luckily, just the communities that we started interacting with, our neighbors, and then as the boys started going to Swain School, uh, which is one of the lo uh, one yep. of the schools here, uh, we developed a community and a friend circle that... Well, Phil was telling me, we'll tell people, you know, we're at Phil's house recording this now, but Phil was telling me, you know, you would go and drop them off at certain activities and then the families would go out and have like a 30-person dinner. Yes, that was a normal occurrence <laughs> normal. for us. The kids were, uh, we were very lucky that the sure. grade that our kids were in, Phil's, ours, um, and the rest of the families, that we became very close-knit mm -hmm. families. Because that doesn't always happen. You know, there's some places where the parents are like, you know, you never meet maybe the parent of another kid. So. Quite the opposite for us. We were, we are almost family. In fact, That's right. when we think about our friends, we rarely think of anyone outside Swain community. And we like, we don't have any other friends, but that, that's not a complaint. That's a compliment that's to, you know, how close we all got. And, um, you know, how to Sunita's point, how this community is really, really what we have as, what we call as family. Mm -hmm. um, 
Sorry. Yeah. Um, now talk about you guys move here and talk about a little bit um, of growing up. You know, with you and Arnav, how did you guys enjoy growing up in the Lehigh Valley, going to Swain School? But your parents got to go off and have fancy dinners. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first of all, thank you for having us here. No, thank um, you. Yeah. But the the part that was uh, not mentioned, I guess, okay. is while they were having those family dinners, we were all out um, Dorney Park and stuff like that. So the Lehigh Valley was definitely good to us too. Um, and going to Swain School sure. definitely brought us a, a good perspective um, because they really reinforced all those values, which um, helped us all become the people we are today. And I'm sure too, like going and, and having some, because I know Swain School is a smaller, a smaller school. Um, so having relationships like that with classmates who, you know, in a larger school you might yeah. not have had. Yep. So quite literally, you would know everybody's birthday, favorite color, and like. Every pretty much. I figured you're probably still close them. with a lot of. Yes, you're, you're, um, you just got out. So. Exactly, we're we're still very very close. Like I see them, um, like I see them at least once or twice a week now. That's awesome. Honestly, um, and it's it's refreshing because it's like those are your lifelong friends, and you sure. keep seeing them. Um, and, and how do you guys? I mean, growing up as twin boys, uh, yep. were you guys always into cycling, or was it? Hey, we're gonna try out all the sports, and then. I guess what I'm asking is, how did you get into cycling? Yeah, um, so to answer your previous question, um, we did try out a lot of sports. Uh, swimming, basketball, all these, all these different sports. Um, but we finally settled on cycling just because, um, well, so I guess it started with my dad. Okay. Who, uh, who started cycling, and then we had, like, it was like a, a series of puzzle pieces that kind of came together. So my dad started cycling. And then, like, my science teacher was giving out flyers, and we were once biking in, like, a, a Trexler park. Sure. Um, and yeah. there was, like, a team there, and they were like, oh, you should, like, look into doing this and stuff like that. So it was it was really a series of moving parts that kind of fit together. Um, so you guys were up near T-Town. Yes. So, again, if you're riding a bike around there, they probably just recruit you. If they see you, yeah, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Like, you know we have a track. <laughs> right around them. But was that kind of, were you able to meet people through the, yep. um, the velodrome? Um, um, yeah, ex yeah. So that was, um, that was a whole another community, the velodrome sure, community. Okay. Um, it's, it's a very tight, uh, close-knit community. And, um, because cycling, tell me if I'm wrong, because I could yeah, be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Is, there's, is there cycling at Swain's? Cycling's more, that's something that, you know, you're going to have to even, even yeah. Swain doesn't have cycling. Yeah, no, Swain doesn't have cycling. Um, I wouldn't say any of the local high schools have cycling I don't think, yeah, team. it's very... Um, it's more of an individual absolutely. kind of thing, mm -hmm. where it's like you make the commitment yourself and you join like a, uh, almost like a, a club, club team. Yeah, yeah um, and you guys train together and you train for the big races and um, it kind of works that way. And how did that progress? Were you, I guess kind of, so you're, you're introduced to it, you guys are riding, when do you realize you're good? Because by the time you're 16, you know, you're both on a national level. Yeah. You know, so it must have been somewhat earlier than that. When did you guys figure out you were good? Um, so it really started, I guess, um, so there's basically when you get into it, um, there's this in, there's this entry program at the velodrome. It's called Air Products, um, and that's kind of uh, okay. like a dip your toe in um, kind of deal for the track. Mm -hmm. So you can try it. You can like see if you like that it. That track's scary. For anyone who's ever, <laughs> like I don't yeah. think I'd want to ride a, a a mountain bike on it, let alone <laughs> the thing with the tires that small. But yeah. Um, yeah. So it it can be scary, but it is one of those things where it's. So you kind of get used to it. Sure. Um, so Air Products was definitely a, a way to dip your toes in. And then after after Air Products, there was just a, a natural progression where it's, if you really want to pursue the sport, it's something that you have to work at and mm -hmm. you have to work sure. at 
and the on season and the off season. So that requires you to to pretty much join a team from an early age. Um, so basically, um, since we were like 11, we were committed to the sport, um, going to the gym, training um, every single day. Um, from from that point um, to go to the the highest level, um, and at that point, like we we were still learning, but it's it was. Are you, like are you a competing against like other eleven year olds at that time, yep. and you're kind of like, hey, we're beating them, and yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it it was a little bit like that, but it was it was a lot more. Um, it was a, mo- a lot more like uh, like you saw the gradual progression within yourself. Sure. And you saw the improvement within yourself, and you're like, I could definitely get there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of that motivation within yourself to reach that extra level. And more I important, think, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I think the progression, to answer your question, I think the progression was first, can you finish the race yeah. without worrying about timing, without falling, mm-hmm. anything like that? Second, are you keeping up with some of the folks? Third, are you in the front pack of the four of the home mm-hmm. pack? And then if you start to win, get like four second, third positions, that's when you, you know playing. that, you know, I might have a shot at that. And that's what happened with local events like A Products sponsored one. There's a bicycling race, a racing league, BRL mm-hmm. is what they call. We started seeing the boys, both boys kind of, you know, gradually progressing towards winning and that's where the whole thing started but more important than winning you know why did you enjoy it you know what was it cycling were you able to i mean i would imagine for cycling i ran in college and and ran high school and you'd have to run pretty far cycling you'd have to go even further Mm -hmm. you know why did you enjoy it so much yeah um, why do you enjoy it so much so uh it was it was definitely um it was like a a very very peaceful pastime Mm -hmm. um it's like you want to bike just pedaling down the road. Um, that, Especially out there. Exactly, and it was it was versatile in a way where there were moments where it was peaceful, but there were also moments where it's hyper-competitive um, and super, super like laser-focused. So you kind of get the best of both worlds and everything in between. Um, so it really had everything that we were looking for in like a pastime, in a sport, um, in, in a passion, pretty much. And you're also getting, you know, very fit. You know, it's exactly. one yep. of the yep. you know, most intense. Um, so... As we progress, you know, we get to, to the point where he did experience leg pain. And, and I was talking, talking with Phil, he mentioned, you know, maybe, how, was this something where it, it was, it, it took some time and he, Arnav kept saying that he was having pain? Or can you kind of talk me through that, how that happened? Yeah, um, so basically um, it was Nationals, I think, 2016. Okay. Um, where were Nationals at? Uh, it was here actually in oh, town, okay. wow. um, Chuck's town. So um, he was experiencing uh, leg pain in his calf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're training at that level, you're always sore. So sure. um, basically, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, my leg hurts. I'm just sore. Think nothing of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, Especially when you're a 16 year old, you know, exactly. younger than that. Yep. Yeah. It could be all sorts of things growing pains, just soreness, um, all these kind of things. But um, then we went to a, a, a sports uh, masseuse. Mm-hmm. Um, like a couple of weeks before the event just to uh, like kind of calm down all the muscles kind of like engage uh, and refocus for the actual race itself um, and uh, he he said after the masseuse that he was feeling something out of place in his leg mm. it was like that pain that he had was more prominent and he really said like oh like the masseuse le- messed up my leg like something's wrong um, and that was that was just uh, a prevailing theme from I guess that point all the way until after nationals. Okay. Um, and when the pain didn't go away after nationals, 
it was kind of like, okay, so this can't be soreness anymore. So what is it? Right. And then is um, that at that point that you decided to, to maybe look a little bit more than at a masseuse? I mean, I would yeah. understand. Like, it makes sense. It makes total sense that it's a, it's a sports-related injury. Mm -hmm. So I think the key point was masseuse because uh, this is this is a lady we go to sure. for for massage, for sports and everything else. And she was, she was finding some knots, some mm -hmm. really, really, you know, hard knots mm -hmm. which she wasn't able to remove obviously she didn't sure, know of none of us knew right. that's osteosarcoma building up there mm -hmm. but um, when she kind of rubbed that area to his point uh, Arnav started complaining that his leg is all messed up and that he won't be able to do uh, nationals we like Trish said it was all you know because of training is what we thought, oh, but then, yeah. but then um, um, his pain would not subside even after nationals a couple of weeks later. Mm -hmm. So we took him to our pediatrician and she said it might be a stress fracture because you guys have been training too much. Sure, yeah. So let's go to sports medicine doctor, took him to her and she said, well, uh, most likely it's a stress fracture, but mm -hmm. let's take x-rays. X-ray came back and x-ray showed big lump which was concerning, and at that point, um, the doctor said, let's get an MRI done. So by the time we went to the doctor, to the time we found out within three days, um, we got to know that he had uh, osteosarcoma in his lower um, left, left mm -hmm. knee, and uh, it had to be treated pretty pretty. And, and when you wait, say wait. treated, and I don't want to get ahead of the timeline, so please you know, correct me. I know that he had a rather major surgery. You know, So what is the... What was the treatment once you just, you know, or, or you have to go through the shock of, of getting that news, you know, what is the next step? Yeah, thing? actually, she told us that his leg will need to be amputated. Wow. So just in that first appointment, yeah. we not only found out that he had cancer, we yeah. also found out that he wouldn't have a leg. So, so that's, uh, that was a Thursday afternoon. And Friday, we called all the doctors sure. and uh, tried to figure out, you know, where we could take him. And... Uh, uh, <clears throat> we got an appointment with Sloan Kettering and Chop, mm -hmm. and uh, Chop was on Monday, and Sloan Kettering was on Tuesday. So we we went to Chop on Monday and met uh, his oncologist, his surgeon. We really liked the team at Chop, and mm -hmm. they said they could do a limb salvage surgery instead of amputating his leg, and that's where we started kind of researching and the treatment for osteosarcoma across the hospitals is the same. It's a pretty standard treatment across the U.S. So we chose CHOP because it's one of the top hospitals in the U.S. for children's cancer. And with that limb salvage surgery, I, you know, am not even near an expert on that. You know, I did read some of it. Can you describe what he went through with that? Because it, it was a rather, you know, Difficult surgery, yeah. I imagine. So um, it was a very, yes. very difficult surgery. In fact, we took a second opinion from Sloan Kettering and their top um, surgeon, who is very, very renowned and knows um, knows everything about osteosarcoma, said um, that he would not do the surgery because it was so complicated. So CHOP surgeon uh, was so confident and she was so capable that she said she would not only do it, but she would be successful, and we did that. One of the key pieces, uh, and when you think about what kind of surgery you want to do, is it really depends on what you want to do after surgery. 
because there's always Absolutely. so yeah. some kids choose yeah. to uh, choose amputation because it's a quicker process mm -hmm. to get back on your feet and Fit, you can you play physical more. therapy for right, exactly you can play more sports like soccer and things like that Arnav wanted to ride a bike mm -hmm. and he wanted his leg so those were his priorities uh, and I think we all were all on the same page mm -hmm. and so because of that uh, what she actually did was she saved his knee his cancer wasn't his tibia so she actually replaced a portion of his tibia bone with what they call cadaver bone mm -hmm. and uh, did vascular surgery around it to actually uh, there was live bone within his cadaver bone so he had surgery in both his legs mm -hmm. and that that was the extent of the surgery it was i think 14 or 16 hour surgery phil had actually come and visited us when while we were sitting outside all day pretty much uh, waiting for him to get out of surgery but uh, it it was a very difficult and a very intrusive surgery mm -hmm. where she pretty much rebuilt his leg. So it was inclusive of a vascular surgeon and uh, an oncologist and an uh, osteo, uh, not an osteo, orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon. surgeon. It was quite a ascent because it was broken into a couple stages. Mm -hmm. One was to kind of take the tumor out, which is very close to the knee. Second was to take another bone from the other leg to kind of stitch the first so one. Both of his legs are being Yes, exactly. both of his legs were being worked on. One was donor leg and the other one was receiving mm -hmm. leg. And then there were uh, veins which had to be put together and all those things. Mm -hmm. So 14 to 16 hours is the, was yes. the extent. And we were, we were just praying, all of us as mm -hmm. a family, friends, that, you know, it goes well. And it actually did go well. Tell me, he was... He, he wrote again after that surgery, did he? Yes, yeah. he actually, along with surgery, the, the other hard part is chemotherapy. He went yes. through nine months of grueling chemotherapy. This is probably the most grueling chemotherapy across any kind of cancer, uh, pediatric or adult. Uh, the, the type of chemotherapies he get, uh, osteosarcoma patients get, mm -hmm. exosplatin is one of them, it is one, and the dosage that they get is one of the most mm -hmm. toughest chemotherapy most treatments. So, so, so that's kind of, uh, he did all of that. He finished his treatment in April 30th, 2017. Yeah. And then uh, I, he got a clean shit from the doctor, I think around August, September of 2017 mm -hmm. and got back on the bike. And he actually participated in the nationals in 2018. So he, he, he participated in the nationals after yes. Yes. the surgery? Which is Two days before he found out that he relapsed. Uh. But I mean, that's amazing that he was even able to go back, not only get on a bike, but compete in nationals. Yes. And, yeah. and he picked an event, and Truth can speak more to that event, but his coach, according to his coach, that was the toughest event a person could have, a normal person could have taken on, but he decided to do that, and um, he competed in that. Yeah, can, can you talk about that? Yeah, um, I think it was the 1K. Yes. Um, so basically, the 1K is... Uh, there's no strategy to it um, because it's too short of a race to have a strategy. It's a time trial, so it's an individual ride. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, you're riding around the track by yourself. For, uh, do, you, do you get, I don't want to call it a head start, but yeah. for this race, do you get to, do you start at a standstill? Or it's a standstill. You, do, you, you stand start still? at a standstill. Okay. Um, and it's six laps. Okay. Um, so basically, you're starting from, uh, from the middle of the track, mm -hmm. and you, you go for six laps all by yourself, full speed the entire time. 
um, and by by lap around like three, you're you're feeling good. Um, but that's like when you start to feel the wear. Sure, yeah. Um, so lap four, it's just like pain in your legs. Lap five, you're just like cranking through, and then by your last lap, it's just. It's, it's, it's a basically it's a very long sprint. Yes. For as long yep. as you possibly can. Yeah. And what um, makes it tough is not only the distance, the speed, mm -hmm. but you're starting from a standstill. Right. And with a standstill, the amount of pressure you have to put on your legs is just incredible. Especially because you have to get a fast start. Yes. You can't just go out of the gate, you know, so to speak. Just, you can hear the you have to go. tires skip the, because of the... Because that's probably where a lot of the, the seconds are taken off, or at yep. least a fraction of yep. the seconds yes. are taken off. That is. So when he's training for that, were you like, maybe pick a different event? Or were, were, you, <laughs> were you... Was he so, determined? And yeah, so um, the way Nationals was uh, structured was that was like one of the only non-mass start events. So right, okay. um, given his condition, that sure. would be one of the only ones where it would be, he would be it would make sense for him to participate. Um, and how do you feel about you know, being able to do that? Yeah, um, I, I, I think he felt pretty good. Right. Um, I, I, can only, I can only tell you what he told me. Yeah, but, sure. um, there, there is actually a video we should share with you. Uh, I love, yeah. That and, there is a story around the nationals uh, that someone came and asked him a lot of questions, asked Drew a lot of questions. Yeah, I loved him. And after the event. Uh, but he was in a lot of pain even before the event because leading up to the event, he had started getting his cancer back. So he had tumor. In his uh, uh, backbone, he had tumor in his sacrum, so he he was having pain sitting down. And did he know that he just? But he felt. I an, I think he knew mm. that it had come back, but no one could tell without. We, right. He wasn't diagnosed as yet for mm. a relapse, but we were suppo supposed to get an MRI two days later. But it was really important for him to do the race, so he wanted to do it, and <clears throat> we all were very supportive of it. So he did that, and uh, his coach, who's actually a, a very good coach, he coaches Olympic level. Mm -hmm. so his coach uh, was so excited. He was the one, I think, who held his seat. You hold the seat when you, these guys start. Right, he yeah. held the seat, and kind of when he came back, he told his coach, that really hurt, but it was fun. So just to, just to give you uh, mm -hmm. a perspective to it, uh, there was an announcer who was announcing uh, events. Yep. And they generally don't do this, but for Arnav, they were announcing his story. And and um, while he was working on it, there was not a single person who wasn't cheering him on. Uh, doesn't happen generally because they're all rivals. Right. So it uh, doesn't happen, but everyone was cheering for him. Everyone was rooting for him. I mean, he, it, again, like you said, he's the only one on the track at this point. Yes. You know. And then uh, when he finished, there wasn't a single person who either wasn't, you know, had a moist eye or, mm -hmm. or just speechless or happy or, you know, all of the above. Um, there were a lot of sentiments. Uh, on the on the track that day. So when he finished that, I would imagine you know for him, you know that was yeah. definitely a, yep. a big achievement. And um, given the state of his uh, condition with the cancer and everything, yeah. Um, uh, my coach actually talked to a, a doctor afterwards, and the doctor was telling him that his bone was literally fracturing every single pedal stroke he took. Wow. So every single pedal stroke was consistently harder than the last. And how many pedal strokes? I mean, that's yeah. hundreds. Yeah. Down, you know. Um, Wow. So you, you had mentioned that then two days later, maybe he had already known himself, but two days later he's, he's 
uh, finds out is he's relapsed, and I think that's when we can talk about the relentless positivity, which I've seen everywhere and <laughs> on all of the websites and, and all the social media and all the videos that you guys put out. Uh, and, and I imagine it started before then, but is that, you know, that kind of mantra of the relentless positivity, is that something when he did find out he was relapsed is when it's, it, just, it becomes even more important? Yes. Um, this mantra was actually established the first day he was diagnosed in 2016. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, we always kept a positive outlook and we knew in our hearts that no matter what, that he'll come out of it. Mm -hmm. It worked for us for the first time. Um, when the relapse happened, it was more important for us to follow that mantra. And uh, um, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we are keeping a positive outlook, not only for him, but for us and for everyone around him who's treating him. Because, you know, when you're smiling and you have a positive thing, then everyone wants to help you and yeah. is comfortable around you. And, you know, you feel better. Um, we started working on that mantra, even though we knew um, right the next week the doctors had told us that this is a matter of time. It could be a month. It could be six months. And there was nothing at that point. And there was nothing. They said, if you honestly stop all the chemos and radiations and medicines, um, you won't hurt him. It might be a better quality of life. But if you want to try, uh, we'll continue to uh, give him med meds and everything that we can in our power. And of course, from mom, that perspective, we weren't there to just raise our hands or throw the towel. We mm. wanted to fight. We wanted him to fight. So we went through everything we could, um, keeping positivity in our outlook. Um, and I'd say um, even though the, the outcome wasn't what we expected, I think um, what it taught us is that even in our worst of situations, um, keeping that outlook, um, you can maximize the quality of time rather than you know, quantity of time that you have at hand. Yeah, he was a kid that uh, that was very positive. I mean, throughout the treatment, he did not cry. Mm -hmm. I did not say, why me? Well, he was a very positive kid. He... We saw him cry only two times, which is when the doctor said, there is nothing they can do. Mm -hmm. That Friday that he came back, and the next Monday. And apart from that, I've never seen him shed a tear. Never. He would always, even in the worst of scenarios, even when they told him that there's nothing we can do for you, um, he was, he was uh, keeping a jovial attitude. He was, he was cracking jokes with the uh, doctors. He was jacking. He was, he was and making. We're moving for ahead. So yeah, but. But yeah, I mean, he 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 was just he always just wanted to. So when he was he relapsed, his first mm -hmm. thing the doctor just told him, "You relapsed," and it was July thirteenth, Friday, and he's like, "Mom, you took my appointment on Friday the thirteenth, really?" <laughs> that was his first question to me when he found out that he's relapsed and he's not gonna make it. And still had humor. Yeah, and even with the, the first time when he found out that he had osteosarcoma, um, after he shed one tear, his remark to us or his comment to us was, so I beat the half of, half of U.S.'s best athletes <laughs> on a broken leg. 
And he said, yeah, you did. And he was like, hmm, something. And just he was just happy after that. This is amazing. Um, we would have said, I mean, I would have cried and cribbed and whined I, all along, but he didn't. I mean, I, I watched, you know, numerous videos. The one that I think said so much to me was when he returned home and there were people, you know, hundreds of people outside and it was his decision that he wanted to speak with them. And, you know, it's something that I don't think I've seen many things like that where somebody is saying, you know, not only do I want to come home to be at peace, but I also want to have, you know, the people who are close to me have a, a chance to, to do that as well. I mean, that, I thought that was really and amazing and special. He somehow, I mean, the last week moving to the last week very quickly, but somehow the last week, I think in his head, he was like, I need to make this so memorable for mm -hmm. my friends and family. And that's pretty much what he did. It was, <laughs> a, ma are, it was a magical week. I mean, as weird as it sounds, it was, we, we, none of us can ever forget that week. That week was really magical. It had miracles all over it. Just to give you an idea, there were three incidents which happened that week. Okay. One is... Um, well, we knew this was his last week. Mm -hmm. um, in our hearts, we knew it and everything. Um, he was going through uh, labored um, breathing. breathing, which basically means his lungs were filled with, with fluids mm -hmm. and he couldn't breathe properly. Um, but he wanted to see uh, uh, a Sixers game because sure. he just wanted to see. Um, there's no way that within a day you would be able to arrange a game in a state that you're in where you have labored breath that you have to sure. get your lungs pumped out and also have a great seat and you know um, enjoy the game, enjoy right. the game. Sure. Um, let alone all the hospital policies which says that you can be discharged and admitted at the same day there were thousand different policies medical issues um, ticket issues all those things we don't know how this happened, but everything was lined up just perfectly. An hour before the game, or two hours before the game, the doctors scheduled his surgery. They knew that he's going for his game. He, they knew that he doesn't have much time. They drained his lungs. Within a few minutes after the surgery, when he's still healing, um, the oxygen guy came. He taught us how to provide oxygen to him, what to do, what not, and he brought extra tanks. Um, the head oncologist at CHOP, she personally called someone at the board of 76ers to arrange the wow. uh, arrange the I saw the picture of TJ McConnell. <laughs> yes. And right there, um, a very kind Swain, uh, sorry, Moravian teacher, she arranged a um, whole suite. And wow. what was supposed to be just the four of us turned out to be 30, 40 people really? in a private suite. Um, I can see like maybe the getting game. a couple tickets for that scene. No, this is, this is all generosity of everyone and care that that happened. It was, it was amazing. I mean, this is the kid who was about to die that morning and he was having pizza and jumping and cheering Sixers. And we all showed up without mm -hmm. plan. Like, so I grabbed my son, Aiden, and we said, I said to him, I said, we're just going to go be in the stadium to watch the game. It's Arnov's wish, and we just want to be around that. Sure. And I got a note from someone else saying, hey, we're going to the game. And I was like, I'm already on my way. And so <laughs> we all get down there. And there's 30-some people who just showed up because they knew it was the right thing to do. And then so somehow word gets out, well, by the way, we have this 
luxury bus. But so they showed up, they didn't even know. None of no, us we were going to get a ticket or anything. It was all just like the universe told us you need to be. And neither one, they didn't know if he was even. That's. Yes. And that picture that you saw of uh, DJ. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how that happened. He brought two sneakers with his signatures, one for him, one for Arnav. He personally greeted uh, us. Well, like I said, he came to this box and sat <laughs> yeah. with him for like, you know, 10 minutes. Right, I forgot about that. Yeah. So that was a miracle. We mm -hmm. came back. Um, um, the next morning or two mornings after, um, he wanted he wanted waffle. And that was his last day. This is Friday. Okay. Um, I was, we were all with Arnav, Sunita went down to the cafe and guess what? The waffle machine was broken. She goes to the manager of the cafe and she says, my son is, doesn't have much time, mm -hmm. what can you do? And he dropped everything and he says, within half an hour, we'll bring you the waffle because that was important. Mm -hmm. uh, this shows the human aspect of people rather than just, you know, that's my job, I just need sure. to make things. But in the hospital, just stories to help, kind of help you understand Arnav's spirit. I mean, uh, it, the day before we were going to leave for hospice, naturally the doctors are like, you want some wires removed, we can take the wires off. And he's like, no, I like my numbers, I'm an Indian. So he was trying to crack jokes Still. with everyone possible. The next morning, he we were worried that okay i mean he's like oh it's my time to go so then he starts he cracks a joke and he he's like i hid a million dollars and and he pretends like he's done and huh. we are like what are you saying he was mumbling we couldn't understand mm -hmm. and Drew had to translate for us that we of course didn't appreciate that joke but to him it was <laughs> <Sure>. funny <laughs> and i mean is that what you like to remember the spirit of that those types of stories are what you know, just kind of paints him in that light and gets it to allow us to know him, you know, for those who were lucky enough to have met him. Yes. Even yeah. at home, I think people were worried on how they would go and talk to him. Sure. And he made everyone feel comfortable. And uh, he was yes. cracking jokes with them as opposed to everyone was kind of teary-eyed and didn't know how to communicate with him. And he was just having fun with them. And that was his wish to be at home. Yes, when and he said hi and talked to each and every person uh, in the house. How many were left. there? At least 100, 100. Do you guys go anywhere without 50 people? <laughs> that seems like you hang out with you guys. We, we've had a very good community. Mm -hmm. Talk about community within Lehigh, whether it's Swain, Moravian. Sure. and well, his, mean, his team has... Sprinter's Edge is his team's name, yeah, and Andrew uh, Harris is the coach. I mean, even that team, pretty much everyone, Chop community, whoever was, whoever got to know Arnav, wanted to be part of his journey one way or the other. Um, and I think that goes towards his mantra, which is relentless positivity mm -hmm. and, you know, looking at the face of Agni and kind of keeping a smile on your face and yeah, saying... I couldn't comprehend being able to do something that brave, you know. Um, from there, <laughs> you know, Team Arnav, to me, you, know, you, you had the beginning when it was created, if you could talk about that, it was to, to support Arnav. And then now, you know, you made this transition to, to celebrate him while also raising awareness. So can we talk about that a bit? I mean, I know I watched your video, you're so well-spoken about it. Um, <laughs> You know, can we talk, what is Team Arnav doing? And, and yeah, just 
What do you so all have? You were, you were totally right about that. Team Arnoff started uh, as a Facebook group, okay. um, basically to provide updates about Arnoff's condition. And uh, just as a place for support, I was called, uh, first it was called Arnoff's Cheerleaders. Okay. Um, and that was the original Team Arnoff. And then from there, it grew to, um, after, after his passing, it grew to more of a, uh, a remembrance. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, it, it grew to what it was today, where it's more of um, trying to cure the type of cancer which took his life. Um, so basically at Team Arnov, the main mission that we've uh, established here is we want to empower new researchers to reach their goals. Um, so we want to find that one researcher who's trying something different um, and doesn't have the money to basically start their idea. Mm -hmm. um, because right now we are a small organization. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have the, the giant fiscal advantages of, of like Alex Lemonade or a larger organization sure. um, where they can fund entire trials with millions of dollars. Um, so for us, we, our business model is more of a, uh, a small grant to, um, to researchers who, uh, who will then use the money to uh, create a proof um, and with that proof, they'll get some results, and they will then present that to a uh, a larger um, a larger like grant uh, application, pretty much. Okay. And um, go from there. Because, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. We're taking yeah. some of the data um, from from the website, but osteosarcoma affects 400. Actually, children, now it feels like, and we should update it. But okay. now it feels like it's closer to a thousand. Oh. It's growing. It is affecting a lot more kids. Is there any, I mean, is there any inkling of maybe? No, no? they don't. Yeah, the, I don't think anyone knows why. Yeah, the research has, been, or the medication is 40 years old. That's what in the video you said, the, the, yeah. the treatments haven't changed since the 1980s. Yep. And, and is, is that due to the prevalence of there's, you know? So that's mainly due to the fact that um, only um, well, the past data said uh, only 400 mm -hmm. uh, children would get it every year, so it was almost overlooked. Um, well, even 400 to 1,000 in the grand scheme of things, in, in the population yeah. is still, you know, yep. so it's a drop. In so 4% of U.S. funding goes towards pediatric cancer. Mm -hmm. Even out of that, uh, if you think about it, whether it's um, leukemia and other cancers, they have like 96% of the pediatric pool probably. Sure. So that's why osteosarcoma gets minimal funding from the NIH. Mm -hmm. Most of the funding that osteosarcoma gets is from parents and uh, mm -hmm. patient advocates that are creating these pools of money. That's and, I, and I think that's the important word is the advocates because since... Since the numbers are so small, you know, the, the voices would seem to be smaller, but the louder you can advocate, even if we're doing this today, and, and it can reach someone who it can either help or has information or wants to cut a $100,000 check, whatever you'd like to do, you know, things like that are, are, are important to, to keep the word out. So is that where you guys are? Is that the mission currently? We're going to talk about the, the event itself in, in a bit. Yes, but. so that's, that's the mission from our standpoint. Um, it's raising the, the money to do that, to accomplish all those goals. Um, and let's talk about the event, because I know that we, we've just come out of, it, it seems like a million years, but we've just come out of the pandemic. And the first you know, event that you had planned was during the pandemic, unfortunately. So can you talk about how you, you maybe, what, what the event was planned to be last year? Whoops. And 
Um, maybe how that changed, and then we'll talk about what we're looking yeah. forward to. So uh, COVID definitely threw a wrench yeah. in a lot of our plans, um, as I'm sure it did a lot. Um, <laughs> but um, basically, last year, we were forced to put it online and virtual. Mm -hmm. um, we had uh, a, a good amount of success with it being virtual, just because I think everyone was used to that. Right. Um, at that I, point, you're like, I'll, just, I'll zoom into this. Yeah, <laughs> at, at that point, everyone was super tech savvy, sure. used to everything. Um, and that was just the way the way it worked. So what um, were they do? Were they riding? Like, would you go out and hey, I'm gonna pop in on my phone as I'm riding? Um, so there were there were a couple ways. We tried um, to use a couple apps first to track everything, but eventually we got to the point where we realized it was easier to just do it by hand. So okay. what you would do is you would walk, you would run, or you would bike, and you would track the mileage that you uh, that you accomplished, and you would send us the aggregate aggregated total at the end of the week. Okay. Um, and so people were doing that. And, and what was the original plan was to for everyone to gather in one place and, and yep. do it that way? Yep. Um, so the original plan was to have an on-site uh, kind of run, a 5K, mm -hmm. um, a bike component to uh, honor Arnav's uh, mm -hmm. like cycling prowess, um, and then a walk for those who didn't want to sure. run or bike. Um, so kind of something that everyone could do. And it was the main goal is to be together, um, because in the end of the day, um, that's what relentless positivity stands for. It's it's kind of like it's basically our mission statement at this yeah, point. I love it's, it. Like, I um, saw it so many places. I'm like thinking about it, <laughs> telling my wife about. It. I just it really is. You know, when you when you look at the story and then really dive into what that means, it's powerful. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that was basically the message we were trying to get across. And if nothing else, we wanted other people to know to say relentlessly uh, positive. Um, so that was that was kind of last year's event. So tell us about this year, because yep. we're going to get, and, and just for anybody who's interested, all of the links are in the show notes, so if you want to learn more, you don't have to write anything down, you can just go in there and, and click it, but can you tell us about this event and how it will be, just forget last year, how's this where you're going to go? <laughs> so this year, um, there's two components, so there's a virtual component and then there's an in-person component. Um, the virtual component starts on the 10th and goes until the 24th and the virtual component is made up of running walking or biking and it's similar to last year where it's you log all the miles yourself and then you're going to send the aggregated total um, to us and we'll have more details about how to do that after okay. registration um, that's like an email we're going to send out um, but that that is the virtual component um, okay. it's similar where you just send us the aggregated total um, whereas the in-person so that's on the 24th itself. Um, July 24th? July 24th. It will be hosted at Moravian Academy, and it will be a 5K run or a one-mile walk. Is that Moravian Academy in Bethlehem Township? Yep. Okay. Green Pond. Right, okay. Um, and at the event, at the live event, um, there will be prizes. There's going to be a, a raffle. There's going to be all sorts of cool stuff. And if you register um, within the next two weeks or so, um, you're guaranteed a free T-shirt. Perfect. That's, that's reason enough. And I was lucky enough to get a t-shirt. <laughs> so if you guys want to participate and get yours, you can do that. Do, do you think like this would be an event that he would, Arnav would like to participate in? I, did, I just I get the feeling that, you know, being around people and being around, you know, people with positive attitudes it seems to be something that he would really like definitely, to Definitely, definitely. That's, you kind of hit the nail on the head yeah. there, where it's, it's an event that brings the community together. Um, and it has a little bit of that like competitive spirit with sure. that friendliness. Um, so it has, it's, it can be whatever you want it to be. 
but in the end of the day, it's more about coming together for a cause. And for those who cannot, you know, maybe participate in that fashion, what is, you know, what is another way that they can help out? Yeah. Um, so if if uh, if you cannot uh, participate in the virtual or the the on-site event, um, uh, just spreading the word of relentless positivity is one thing that that goes a very long way. Um, but if you want to do um, like tangible things for the organization. Um, you could just check us out on our website or... And you're, I'm sure you're always open to sponsorships. Yes. If somebody came yep. through, you wouldn't turn that down. So, um, so <laughs> we are, we are um, actively looking for corporate sponsorships. There you go. Never shut... Because you never know who, you know, the possibilities. It's... It's sponsorship, donate, participate. Uh, yeah. Volunteer. Volunteer. We're looking for everything. Yeah. So for, for corporations, um, basically, there's, there's three ways if they want to help, they can help. Mm -hmm. One is... Um, they could just simply just allow us to put a poster in their storefront. Sure. Um, that's, I would say, the simplest, um, basically, so we can just spread the word through them and they're... And would they just contact you through the website to do that? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, another way would be to, uh, to actually uh, sponsor us. So we have different packages. We have, uh, we have our gold, our silver, and our bronze packages, and then we have event sponsorship packages as well. Um, and all of this information is available yep. on our website. Which again um, is in the show notes if you click. Yep, perfect. Um, so that would be another way. And then um, the last way would be to spread the, uh, the news of the event throughout um, your organization itself. Sure. So if that's like an internal email or something like that. Absolutely. And, and one thing that I want to bring up is this, this organization was founded by, primarily it was started by Drove, uh, naturally with our, all of our support, but right now the event is being run by Drove and Arnav and uh, I mean Drove and his friends and including including and with with support from some of the I would call us senior members or sponsors <laughs> uh, uh, there are three or four adults but most of the show is be, a lot of the show is being run by by uh, young adults young leaders young, young adults leaders of the Lehigh Valley which I think is a great story I mean these are uh, college going high school kids that are working. really giving back like you know I don't want to speak about myself but it's not something you know I don't think I realized that until later in life you know how important that type of thing is mm -hmm. so it is interesting not interesting it is honorable to see you you know doing something like and they just work for pizza <laughs> no, we really appreciate because we know as a teenager of our own how busy teenage life is sure how many commitments they have social commitments they have work commitments they have and education commitments they have but they all want to help us and they all show up diligently sunday night for a couple of mm -hmm. hours and they they, they attend the meetings, they contribute, they brainstorm, and they've divided the work between team leaders, and mm -hmm. they're taking care of that. Um, of course, we have uh, five adults. Oh, sure. We are mostly yeah. there to help. If they're going to do the work, I would allow them, and yes. then they can check them. You know, and, yeah. But they do all the work, and we couldn't be more proud of them. And they're all true and friends who, mm -hmm. who just touched by him, and they want to make sure that no one else goes through that disease again and, and Drew if I don't want to put you on the spot and I didn't tell you I was going to ask this <laughs> but like, wow what are you doing now you know what, what yeah. are your plans like where, where are you at so um, 
just in general, do you mean? Yeah, I mean, are you you're a college student now? Yeah, are, so are I'm uh, I'm a second year at the University of Virginia. Okay. And what are you uh, studying? I I want to study finance and computer science. All right. Um, and this summer, what I've been up to is uh, I have an internship up in Philly. It's great. So uh, long commute, but it's definitely worth no, it. I mean, an internship there is, is fantastic. So you, I mean, you're that's what you're interested in is, is yeah. finance. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, I work up at a Valley Forge Financial Group. Awesome. So you're doing well, and are you continuing to, to cycle, or is it? Um, not as much anymore. I'm sure it's busy. I mean, when you you're not gonna you know ride your big cycle to Philadelphia. <laughs> But um, it's always in the back of my mind. Sure. It's always there, just... Uh, I mean, you're competing, I would imagine, on the 24... Uh, or you're just there as a race organizer, you can't... So, yeah, I'll be, I'll be running, but okay. um, <laughs> I, I'm mostly there as a race organizer. Yes. yes. He'll be running to get all the work done. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm like, I hope that, you know, there's some people who are listening or anything that we can do to, to get the word out. We have a decent following, so I'm, I'm really happy to do that. Yeah. And we truly well. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much yeah. for uh, conducting this interview. I have to be completely honest, this is probably the, the um, most important podcast you know I've ever done. We've done over 150 of them. And it's just, you know, reading through the story today, um, you know, today, the last couple of days, and speaking with Phil about this, uh, you know, reading about what you've all had to go through is amazing. Um, it's nothing that, you know, anyone can really imagine until they're in that position and to be able to do it with such bravery and you know um, look it in the face is amazing to me so I want to say thank you for you guys for allowing me to be you know around you and to, to interview you you know what you're doing is, is really special so well like, thank you you're thank too you. kind yeah, thank you, you. alright so Phil we're gonna go party now <laughs> <laughs> thanks for letting us use your house Absolutely. Yeah, thank you Phil Thank you. So, again, guys, I want to thank you so much. Please uh, check out Team Arnab. All of the uh, links are in the notes. Everything that you need in there, all the social media, how to sign up. If you want to do a corporate sponsorship, everything you need is in there. Uh, and, and thank you, guys. So thank we're you. looking forward to it. You know, I'm going to start logging my miles. I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> yes. I ran three this morning. So Please do. Okay. Thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. you. One more big thank you to the Krishna family. Please visit teamarnab.org. One more thank you to our sponsors, Burke Insurance Agency, Michael Bernadine with Howard Schaefer and Associates, real estate agent, and Venture X, a co-working space in South Bethlehem. We will talk to you next episode. Insurance Agency is family owned and operated since 1986. What else happened in 1986? Haley's Comet flew by and that was pretty cool. The Burke Insurance Agency is located at 3446 Freemansburg Avenue in Bethlehem Township and they represent Erie, Grange and Progressive Insurance Companies. Tom and Kathleen are some of the nicest people in the Lehigh Valley, for real. They actually get to know their customers and care for them as if they were part of their own family. It's how a small business is supposed to be. They are also community minded and support many nonprofits, which they are very passionate about. Give them a call at 610-691-3743 or find them on Facebook. Everything again is in our show notes. Don't wait around like Haley's comment called Burke Insurance today. Looking for a bigger home? Find Mike. Looking to downsize? Find Mike. Looking for a home in the Poconos? 
Find Mike. Looking for your very own bat cave? Find Mike. When looking to navigate the Lehigh Valley real estate market, the first move is to always find Mike Bernadin with Howard Schaefer and Associates of Remax Real Estate. He can help you build the right game plan to achieve all your real estate goals, whether it be a home with 10 bathrooms, a home with a large garage to park your Tesla or vintage Ford Pinto, or just something perfect for you and your family. Finding Mike Bernadine is always the best way to go. So, what are you waiting for? To make all your Lehigh Valley real estate dreams come true, all you have to do is find Mike Bernadine with Howard Schaefer and Associates of Remax Real Estate.